0: Hello and welcome to The Ballot Box, global election coverage from a team of political scientists.
1: I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Bessere in New York City.
2: Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of The Ballot Box. A few weeks ago on our Twitter feed, we put up a poll asking our listeners what they'd be interested in hearing episodes on. And number one was the German election, a preview of the German election. So I'm excited to say that on this episode, we'll have a lovely discussion about uh, a preview, a pre-analysis of the German election. With us, obviously, are uh, you know myself, Andres, Jonathan, and Chris. How how's how's everything in London, Jonathan?
0: Um, well last time we spoke to you, I think we were suffering in the heat. Um, we have since had it's a succession of of nice summer storms, which have um, broken a lot of the humidity and it's much fresher. So yeah, uh, much better from that regard. Other mm. than that, not not too not too much to report, just chugging along with the PhD.
2: Yeah. Great, great. As a PhD student should be. Um, and how about you, Chris? How's everything in Manchester?
1: Um, Yeah, similar. Um, Not much to report. It's my birthday tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to having a nice day out at some Manchester Museums with my partner. Um, And uh, and, yeah, similarly, the the storms finally reached Manchester today after (laughs) temporarily Manchester becoming the England sun capital. Um but just very unusual for the start of the world. <laughs> um yeah, they're finally going and our, our cats are currently hiding um because the thunder has been pretty noisy.
2: <laughs> well, um happy pre-birthday, Chris. Thank
1: you. Thank
0: you. <laughs> happy pre-birthday. How's New York keeping, Andres?
2: It's it's been all right. Um enjoying still still enjoying the novelty of a standing desk. Although um, today I've decided I'm sitting, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's one, it's a kind of small wonder of technology that we can do that right now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. Is,
0: so, the desk gonna, is the standing desk going to get a mention in every episode now?
2: Only, only <laughs> as long as um, there's still novelty to it. Once
3: yeah. it's worn
2: off, once it's worn off, um, you know, it'll fade into the background.
1: Weekly <laughs> w- w- updates on what level the standing desk is at. <laughs> this could be our
0: first. This could be our first sponsorship deal. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I think uh, I, I've been. You know, I've been tempted to put it on like tiptoe, tiptoe level, and see whether or not like my daily activities change. Um, if I write emails faster, if I have to be on my toes, literally. Mm-hmm. Great. So onto onto this very um, important German election. So why why have we why, why is this why did why is this topic important? Why is the German election a big thing? And why did our audience think that it was the most interesting out of all the possible topics that were that were on, on the on our own ballot?
0: I probably have a, f- a few theories as to why it was so popular. I mean, I think it's it's a relatively compared to some of the other party systems in Europe. It's it's relatively simple and easy to get your head around. So I think a lot of people maybe keep more track of Germany than than others. Um, also, quite simply, it's the most important country in Europe, really, in terms of like mm. international power. Um, and and the results of this election will be hugely significant. Um, also it's pretty competitive this time round. Um, Mm. It's got a very interesting kind of uh, interesting levels of support for a Green Party at kind of hitherto unseen levels, really, um, for pretty much anywhere, uh, which is going to be quite interesting and is pretty pivotal in that it's going to be the first uh, election Mm. without Angela Merkel um, since, was it 2005, her debut, Chris, correct me. Yeah, that that was when
1: she she was first Chancellor candidate and first on power, yes. Mm -hmm. She was actually leader of the party in 2001 but she wasn't chancellor candidate that yet but so yeah she's she's been um probably since 2005 probably the single most significant politician in europe um for many of our listeners that's probably before they like, they were even adults. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, uh, I, yeah, I was And only... for me as
0: well. So and for you, you know. as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's been kind of a defining presence in European politics for. Uh, been during a pretty rocky period for mm. European politics. You know, she she went through the entire eurozone crisis. <laughs> she was there during the migration crisis. She's. And now, of course, she's been there for coronavirus as well, um, and, and you know Brexit and all the other things that have happened in European politics have, to some extent, um, involved Angela Merkel for for yeah, sixteen years. Um,
2: and, and she's obviously announced her retirement, so there's no yes. possibility that she'll stand. Um, no, so that's. Yeah.
1: Yes, and obviously the, um, her party, party um, have um, nominated a, a different chancellor candidate. So um, it's all uh, Armin Lachette, the, the mm-hmm. new leader of the Christian Democratic Union. Um, so in, in that regard as well, um, it, it's a very clearly a break in terms of a, a, from one particular era of German politics I'll be it. one that will continue to reverberate, I'm sure, into the future, no matter, no matter what the result of what this election is. Right. Um, would, you guys, would you guys say that another kind of headline
2: about the election, as, as it's been for, I don't know, that I've, I've seen a, cu- a couple of times in, in the past few years, is the potential of a kind of the far right AFD, you know, um, having some success in the, in the election?
0: not not particularly i mean i think they've they've carved out a base they're not going anywhere but i think Hmm. the opinion polls suggest that they may even be one or two points down on the last election yeah Um, yeah they certainly were in the last european parliament elections and there's no evidence really that they've they've
1: increased yeah and they've had a fairly bad run of results in state elections as well um so in in that regard they they don't look like a party that's on the rise albeit they don't look like a party that's quite dying off either i think it's fair to say they don't seem like they look relatively stable if possibly down a little bit from from um the last federal election um yeah Hmm. and, and you know i think generally Panic over the AFD is a bit heightened because, of course, the unique history of Germany. Mm. But relative to other European states, Germany has a pretty weak far right Um, overall. um, Like, we're nowhere near um, French or especially Italian (laughs) levels of right wing populism. Right. Yeah. But yeah.
2: Good. Well, you know, um, so, so clearly an election that signals kind of like the end of one year and the beginning of another, as you well put it, Chris. Mm. And, and just to have a, a kind of bit of background, I think one of the most interesting parts of our podcast consists in kind of like um, uh, kind of understanding the constitutional setup of the electoral systems that we're talking about. So in the case of Germany, what are the kind of main features of the electoral system?
1: You want to start, and I'll jump in, or shall we do it the other way around? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. um,
0: I think yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's going to be interesting to talk about this, given what we were talking about last week. I think just because Germany is one of the countries in Europe, which is similar in size and kind of population, or it's a bit bigger, but we we this is kind of instructive to look to for. Um, it, the kind of flip side of what the uk is like in some ways because this is not in any way really built to be a majoritarian political system at, at all um very kind of consensus orientated um so yeah the electoral system is this mixed member proportional system that we've been talking about for a long time um so there's part mm. of the seats decided in single member plurality uh, single districts and then part of them by party lists um, with a five percent threshold but over the five percent threshold is, is proportional
1: basically um yeah and then, yeah there's also a um another threshold if you don't reach five percent you can get um you can um get over the threshold as well by winning three constituencies mm-hmm. um which has has sometimes been important for small parties um but yeah b- broadly speaking mm-hmm. um, the five yeah. percent threshold is the key one
0: the other interesting feature about this electoral system is that the Bundestag can grow and frequently does grow. Um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't always the same size. Um, there's a sort of base size of what it can be, but the fact it's uh, different from how um, how MMP is applied in some other places um, is that they will, if the if one party wins more first-past-the-post seats than it's supposed to. They will simply keep adding on list seats until proportionality has been reached. Mm. So the Bundestag currently stands at about 709 seats, which is, I think, almost 100 seats more than it it
1: can Yes, it's supposed to be
0: 598.
1: Yes. Yeah, and this is is, um, because the um, German Federal Constitutional Court um, interprets the section in the basic law saying that the um, electoral system will be proportional in an extremely literally minded way, <laughs> um, which tends, which has resulted in a series of decisions over time, which have been designed to make the electoral system more and more proportional to the point where it effectively now, I would suggest, functions as a kind of national PR list um in terms of how the overall numbers of seats are assigned um that be a, a very complicated one yeah. which <laughs> um is designed to make sure that um every mp has a kind of clear link to a a to a state mm. that they represent yeah yeah
0: it, it's mm. going to get it has got worse in recent years because of the way that the party system has become more fractured when it was mm. nearly two-party. It rarely happened that it Wunderstag, would get too big, but now that this CDU is, um, in some ways, that is always kind of much larger than the others, um, you're tending to get that they will walk over most of the single-member districts, and the Bundestag mm. has to grow quite a lot to, to compensate for that. So.
2: Yeah. And and the election for the Bundestag is every four years,
1: right?
0: Yes, yes. Some yep. of the some of the land are five, but the but the Bundestag is is, uh, is four years. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, other important details as well. Um, the system is designed to make it very difficult to form minority governments, almost next to impossible. Um, because of course of the historic memory of the Weimar Republic and uh, so on, so it's designed to encourage kind of stable majority governments with a, a kind of clear um, coalition performance. So, for example, there are constructive votes of no confidence where you can't remove a government unless you propose a different one um, on um, on investment. Uh, after an election, as well, the chancellor has to win an absolute majority in a secret ballot of votes in the Bundestag. Um, so that, of course, means that, um, assuming that a majority hasn't been reached, which has only rarely happened in Germany, um, the some other party is going to have to vote for Uh, vote for for the Chancellor. Um, And then there are also, it's also a system which actually, despite being quite consensual in many ways, is fairly executively dominated. Um, So, um, supporting a government from the outside as a a minority um, simply doesn't produce nearly as many rewards as as being part of a coalition mm-hmm. um, so all that together uh, uh, really heavily decentivizes dis- against minority governments, which is why you you i don't think that there's never been a minority government at a federal level in Germany. I think there's been a couple of experiments with them at state levels mm. um, it, but even at state level they're incredibly rare yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean it's it's the system the system is designed to um, well, very consciously as chris said with the experience of weimar in mind to produce quite stable um well, a lot of stability and you can see it's kind of worked and if you just count the number of um chancellors there has been since the second world war compared to the number of heads of government of most other countries in europe is very mm. few and they tend to last a very long time um Merkel mm. not particularly unique in the sort of length of time that she's been yeah in the office there's, there's quite a few of her predecessors of lasted similar amounts of time.
1: Yeah, the the last Christian Democrat um, before her, Helmut Kohl, served 16 years as well. Mm. So, yeah, um, similar person there. And, of course, the other important element is that the German constitution allows for a kind of stop ban on extremism in terms mm-hmm. of... Um, which, once again, is obviously heavily echoes within the, um, within, comes from German history. Um, so for example, the, um, the domestic intelligence agency um, has quite wide powers to monitor and observe and investigate parties which are um, considered to have extremist elements within them um, that, that are considered to be anti-constitutional in particular. Uh, so that's a a um, important aspect of German politics. It's something that will come up when we um, talk about a couple of other parties here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. Awesome.
0: There was
2: yeah. O- only very recently did the German intelligence services announce that they were spying on the AFD, which was interesting that they would you know both spy on. On, on this um, party, as you rightly put it, that the constitution does provide those powers, but then it would also announce it, right? So it's
1: yeah, it's a very classic German German soft authoritarianism, but with transparency. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a way of I think maintaining um, maintaining some form of accountability for this power because obviously it could potentially be um abused if um people weren't aware of which parties were being it's also worth saying that i think that declaration however does act as a kind of dissuasion tactic as well it's like immediately yeah. a party that is stained by the association with being yeah. absurd, as it's usually referred to yeah is um it, it, it is obviously I mean, you know German political culture has a very strong pull against extremism as well as yeah. uh, it, it, as well as um, as well as German institutions. Yeah.
2: Which, so you know, so so there's there's a kind of current of thought um, in in German political theory of straitbare demokratie, sometimes referred to as defensive or militant democracy, which is the acceptance of um, kind of regulations and um, powers within the constitution to defend it against anti-constitutional forces. So kind of like being intolerant against those which are, you know, openly, or, or maybe not even openly against kind of the system of government. And, and I, th- I think, yeah, it's part of the um, reaction to the Weimar Republic's downfall. Um, and I think it's a kind of, uh, even if it's an academic term, it's a practice and culture that I think is quite widely accepted within the mainstream of German politics,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You don't. I don't really ever see anything about the so five percent is not as a threshold. It's not terribly unusual, but it's it's higher than some other countries and is obviously designed to um, prevent something. The, the the fact that the the Nazis entered the Weimar Reichstag on a very small percentage of the vote, less than five percent, mm. and then kind of grew from there, and as it has done its Job until the last decade, and that no far right force ever crossed that threshold until the AFD at the national level mm. um, as well. Um, yeah,
1: and and the AFD itself coming from a, a quite a different origin point. In that, the AFD was actually started by academics who um, were essentially academic economists who didn't like the Euro because it was messing up their models.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's actually the way I like to phrase it. Like, people were kind of soft Euro skeptics, and it kind of became increasingly taken over. To, to the fact that the, the original um, leader actually left and founded a different party, which um, went nowhere. Um, but yeah, it's it's radicalized with time. But I, I think the fact that it started from that position gave it a sense of early credibility mm. um, yeah. and ex- an acceptance that it wasn't kind of coming from that kind of radical right heritage. Um,
3: mm. which, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is something that we see with um, with um, other far-right parties, ones that have kind of um violent or fascistic origin points usually struggle far more no matter what their kind of attempts to moderate are compared to ones that kind of emerge from the center right um Mm -hmm. in some way
0: yeah well Um, in another another september election we'll probably end up talking about a similar party um in norway mm -hmm. i guess because like progress Mm -hmm. started off as a kind of anti-tax thing and has ended up yeah yeah exactly yeah
1: yeah Yeah.
2: so so kind of like recapping this is a a very proportional system it's federal it's consensual it has these very kind of unique parts to it which could be categorized as kind of defensive democracy Mm. and then you you guys also spoke of 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 the system as having a strong executive right so strong powers for the chancellor Yes, which, which, makes the, which makes the exit of Merkel from politics all the more important. In mm-hmm. what ways is the German chancellor a kind of a strong executive or a executive with, with lots of powers?
1: Well, uh, for one, they have incredible resource. So um, like, I'd ask anyone who's kind of interested in the architecture of democracy, for instance, just to briefly look up the federal chancellery building in, in Berlin because it's huge and and unlike other um offices like you know um, it, it, it's not generally seen first and foremost as a residence there is a flat in there for the chancellor but like no 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 one labors under the pretense that that's where the chancellor usually lives uh, mark merkel um, generally will stay there for like occasional overnights but like this not where um she lives uh, most of the building is it's just offices and um it's extremely well resourced and it has kind of a series of um of quite strong powers attached to it as well um which i can't remember exactly what they are off the top of my head but the the basic law gives the chancellery quite a lot of um formal powers in and of themselves um, yeah. Mm. And,
2: um, and I guess, given, given the importance of Germany, especially when it comes to economic policy of the EU, in mm. a sense, the chancellor, the yeah. chancellor's powers extend beyond, um, obviously, kind of the power that they, they wield in Germany, mm. right, and also this kind of, in a way, an election for, for all of Europe, right, whoever's... Mm.
1: yeah. It's also you know, they're also very hard to remove once they're put into place because yeah. not only do you have to do this constructive vote of no confidence, which is very hard in and of itself, you then have to have another investiture vote, which requires another absolute majority. Okay. Um, so all this stuff kind of combines together to to um, make and uh, uh, yeah, and German constitutional experts often refer to it as a kind of. As a chancellor, democracy, um, and, and yeah, um, and 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 for, for example, and the basic law kind of makes it so that the chancellor is responsible for all government policies officially. So, like, it's very clearly in the constitution that the chancellor is very much above the other, other members of the cabinet um i'll be a a, 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 like for example a a, um other systems which other parliamentary systems which typically make it so that the prime minister is notionally first amongst equals even if that's not how things actually um function right very interesting
2: um uh i have a question about kind of the way in which these kind of strong powers mix with the consensual nature of the of the system but i'll ask Mm -hmm. him after we talk a little bit about the party system so once once you know having thought about the constitutional setup in germany what what is the party system like who are the main actors in the in the political spectrum
0: um well yeah i mean this is the thing to understand it i mean i suppose this is we could say this for quite a lot of european countries but the the party system currently doesn't really look like the one that existed for most of germany's post war mm. history um which was probably what you could have described as a quite nicely as a two and a half party system um mm. these two what would refer to as Volkspartei in in german the kind of uh, sort of people's, people's party very, yeah mm. very broad sort of based um The spd the social democrats on the center left um which is germany's oldest party and existed throughout all the various the
1: the oldest Mm -hmm. the oldest social democratic party in the world as well um so yeah it's an incredibly important party in terms of the history of social democracy as an ideology Mm -hmm.
0: Um, yes yes, mm -hmm. definitely and um yeah this was this was already the largest party in like before the first world war in like Imperial Germany, um, so, yeah, very old roots yeah. and in the post-war period took on the role as the, as the main kind of casual party of the center left. And then on the center, right. Um, a, a newer party, although it has kind of antecedents in, in kind of pre, the sort of pre-war period, the yeah. Christian democratic union, the, the, CDU, the mm. um, the current, um, Angela Merkel's party, um, which as the name suggests is a Christian democratic party. Um,
1: Um, Albeit with some significant um, conservative elements as well, Um, it's kind of a yeah that catch-all nature is kind of Mm. takes on kind of multiple elements of the center-right and some to some degree, right? And and actually, here here
2: I guess is 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 a moment where I can ask my question about the chancellorship and consensual nature of German politics. Angela Merkel is like ostensibly a center-right wing figure in German politics, right? But she enacted things like, um, or she didn't vote on it. She voted, I think she was or she voted against it, but during her premiership, her government, Germany passed like same, the same-sex marriage, right,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and other measures that were deemed, I guess, traditionally of the center left. I don't know if this is a time when you guys want to talk about that, but is, does that make the CDU kind of more of a centrist party or was are these kind of exceptions to the ideology of the cdu in general
0: i I think you could you could more easily put um merkel into the category as a christian democrat in that she is pretty centrist and pragmatist and is Mm. yeah obviously she has a kind of background in, in kind of christian values but she's not yeah she's not a kind of uh very far to the right on economics generally and has been seen itself as kind of a centrist most mm. of the time. There are people in the party which you would more describe as, as being, yeah. Conservative uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Albeit that Christian democracy aspect does sometimes mean that I, I, actually, I think same sex marriage was more troublesome for the CDU than mm. it was even for the Conservative Party in the UK yes. because the uh, Conservative Party obviously doesn't have that religious aspect, and Germany is a. An unusually religious country for Europe, it's um, secularized more slowly than other Western European countries, Um, so that religious aspect is still quite important within the CDU in a way that it's not, but that said, um, for example, on the same sex marriage stuff. um, I think it was almost a typical Merkel gambit in that she knew very well. That the vast majority of Germans supported legalising same-sex marriage. So, but her party baith obviously, as opposed to it. So she found the route through which she could have same-sex marriage legalised while distancing herself from it simultaneously, by uh, by um, by not voting for it, which is to essentially hold a free vote of the Bundestag and um yeah. you know, between the um between the parties of the left and the fdp who who have had, who's had openly gay leaders in the past which uh, the party essentially of the secular right um there was obviously always going to be a majority there when you have a free vote as well as well as you know certain factions of the cdu mm-hmm. um so in the moment she said that, that it was open to a free vote it was it, it was clear which way the, things were going to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I think we also there's um, also another thing that which which um, kind of people who sort of casually follow German politics will be aware is that the CDU has a partner um, has the Christian Social Union in Bavaria, um, the CSU, um, which only stands for election in Bavaria. Um, and the CDU they don't they don't contest in the same in the same region. The CDU is present in every other um, region of Germany. Apart from Bavaria, um, the CSU tend to think of as slightly more, slightly more conservative than the, the, CD, the, the CDU, um, and also has a, a kind of Bavarian regionalist c- current as well, which is quite um, probable. Um, it's mm. extremely dominant in, in Bavaria. Um, has been his, historically yeah. has won in uh, in land elections over sixty percent of the vote sometimes. Um, although it currently it's been four stack into into a coalition in the last election. Um but yeah they so though but those mm. they all, all essentially almost always um they have very close relationship. They'll present joint chancellor candidates, which almost always come from the CDU but, but not always. And um yeah and they will form it at, at the federal level they sort of work as a as a kind of continuing alliance
1: for quite mm. some time. Yeah. Yeah. And Bavaria is um and, and that reflects Bavaria's own politics as well, because Bavaria is the wealthiest German state. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also by far and away one of the most religious Bavaria is mm-hmm. in, intensely Catholic in its makeup. Yeah. Um, as opposed to other German states, which are particularly in the north and east, are more, more secularist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: and then And then the the third component, the half of the two and a half party system, um, is the FDP, the Free Democratic Party, um, which is a, a kind of classical conservative liberal party. Um, I mean, broadly speaking, normally to the to the right of the CDU on economics, but more kind of socially liberal than on kind of social issues than they are. Um, used to be i'd say it was it was generally considered the kind of hinge party and would serve in government with with both parties mm. in kind of a, a sort of center position um but then in the 1980s took a kind of turn more to the right um, economic mm. company and has then only been aligned with the cdu in government after that point
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, and then in the 80s we saw the rise of the greens of course Um, And then there was a kind of, uh, and first of all, uh, kind of emerging from a like new left protest movements in the 1960s, um, the 68ers as it's known in Germany. Um, Very pacifist, very environmentalist, obviously very feminist. There was a kind of early power struggle within them between um, more radical members who are known as the fundies, short for fundamentalists, and the realos. Um, which the Relo's won um, which um, meant that they were first willing to form coalitions with the SPD um, which they did at the federal level in 1998 which meant that you then had a kind of a temporary party system where you essentially had four parties with two on the left and two on the right which was quite nice and um, (laughs) uh, uh, yeah uh, so uh, yeah that was a uh, um, a period which um, where things were very simple in Germany, which they've become much less so. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, because
0: because we now have two other parties on the right and the left, which for the most part the other parties won't touch in terms mm. of governing arrangements. Mm. One more toxic than the other, I think, definitely, especially at the. So, the so that so we, I mean, I will introduce the parties. So, they have the, the Linke, um, the just the left, which is yeah, which was partly descended from the ruling Communist Party in, in the former Eastern Germany. Um, which uh, which it, it, it did the thing that most of the Communist parties in former Eastern Bloc did and rebranded itself, um, afterwards. In this case, as the Party of Democratic Socialism, um, which served as almost a in some ways as a kind of Eastern regionalist party for a while. I've seen um, mm. journal articles and stuff which have kind of put it in this um, put it in this mould as, as being a kind of regionalist mm. party for Eastern.
1: Yeah, and I would still say that's a component of what mm. um, D-Linker uh, D-Link does, albeit not as strong as it was then.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, and then that merged with kind of small left-wing breakaway from the SPD um, formed D-Linker as, as a more broader Sort of uh, radical left party, um, although it's still much more heavily supported in um, in the former eastern states than it is mm. in, in the west. Um, this generally, because of its heritage in the communist party, is uh, you not generally considered um, coalitionable. Um, mm. They have, however, in the in the in the kind of what what is usually referred to as the new states, the states which used to make up the the day they are. Um, have been some kind of red-red uh, coalitions between the yeah. SPD and the and the and the left, but at the federal level, it's never been included in any governments. Yeah. That was the in twenty thirteen, where the um, the kind of three parties of the left had an overall majority together, but it just wasn't considered that that was going to happen. And the SPD went into a grand coalition yeah. with the CDU again.
1: Yeah. yeah, and in, in, in a funny way, I think the Western part of the party has become more of a headache than the Eastern part of the party. Because the Eastern part of the party has the, 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 uh, has been formed by ex- chiefly experienced politicians who um, with albeit a controversial past who have been willing to kind of pragmatically try and gain power. Whereas in the West the party took on a lot of kind of far left elements, which um, had um, been kind of on the outskirts of German politics for a long time, and which um, came into it like several factions of the party, um, which are called platforms and linker, are under observation by the domestic intelligence. but albeit the party itself is not um and some state wings of the party in the West are under observation as well by by state level intelligence agencies. Um, so it, yeah, there's it's an interesting and, and the party has often struggled between to align kind of its pragmatic and its realist wing. It has two co-leaders, and the typical practice is that one of them is essentially from the pragmatic wing and one of them is much more radical. Which I think means it struggles to kind of, because there's not someone who can pull it in one direction to kind of sort this out. Um, it kind um, of continues to struggle between that yeah. um, internal contradiction.
0: Yeah, and it's we need to obviously, remember with Germany. Um, the there is a case that the the far left has also kind of stalked German democracy as well as the far right in the past as well. So there is an understandable kind of fear of it, not just in mm. terms of the East Germany um, legacy, but also things like the, the Rotter Army faction and, and things like kind of mm. the Meinhof group in the in the sixties and seventies and that that kind yeah. of heritage of left wing terrorism that exists as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, which kind of puts a shadow on on anything of, on that half, yeah. part of the spectrum,
1: and because and of course Germany was at its heart was was in some ways the front line of the Cold War, mm-hmm. um, both because of the division in the, because of the division in the country, because of West Berlin, which became you know uh, had at one point the greatest agglomeration of spies in human history, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and because of um, all uh, and because of it just where it was geographically, in terms of you know the West was bordering, um, it was bordering the East. Um, so uh, and of all, all the stuff to do with its power, you know, um, its size, the fact that the Americans were basing nuclear weapons there, um, blah 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 blah. blah. Um, it, 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 that tension. The Cold War was a very huge thing in Germany, like across it, across it. Um, no matter who you were or where you were, it, it, it impacted on you in a way it didn't in, for example, the UK. Um, even though it was obviously a significant thing here. <laughs>
0: And then the other part, the other new party is of course the AfD, which we've already mentioned, the Alternative for Deutschland. Yeah. um, Which yeah, as we've, I think we've already covered that reasonably well. um, Yeah. Entered entered the Bundestag in 2017, and there's been an annoying presence ever since. Yeah, Uh,
1: it's worth saying as well that um, not unlike Die Linke, the AfD has taken off more in the former East than in the West. um, Which yeah is. Because, of course, East Germany is, to some extent, still very troubled by the legacies of communism much. The gap has been reduced a huge amount, but there are still regions that are are very poor and um, which are just simply not as developed as the West, Um, as well as the fact that those regions have become very old because most of their young people have moved westward since... In yeah. pursuit of work.
2: This might be obvious for, for people who follow German politics, but the left and the right, the center right and the center left, govern together mm. in Germany.
1: And have which, to, yeah. yes, and have done quite frequently in the last, and under Merkel. Mm. Um, so, yeah, of the four governments Merkel has formed, um, three of them have been what is called Germany Grand Coalition. A coalition of the two biggest parties. Um, she she formed a kind of classic centre right coalition in two thousand and nine, which went hilariously badly for the FDP. Um, <laughs> but um, generally speaking, but yeah, she's she's uh, which and and those grand coalitions have themselves been very unusual historically. Um, before this, there was only one grand coalition in the sixties, which only lasted a few years. So, yeah, that is a an interesting break in terms of German constitutional practice. Yeah, mm. Mm. Um, but
0: obviously, obviously, is not a an unspeakable concept as it is in some other places. Um, mm. that, that that it can happen, as it does happen at the at the at state level as well. Um, these kind of um, these kind of formations, um, and yeah, it's not. I don't think it could be a uh, bad, bad to say. It's not worked um, really terribly as well. It's been kind of fine. It's, it's it's not. I don't think it's either party's ideal government formation, but it's obviously. It's um, mm. obviously. Yeah. yeah it's, it says it says something that these are able to work together pretty well. On the- yeah,
1: I think it, I think arguably it's Merkel's ideal government formation. Mm. Because she has particularly enjoyed Grand Coalition. Um, I think it's also worth saying that um, we didn't mention this earlier, but the Bundesrat has often been said to kind of impose a slight amount of Grand Coalition in German politics anyway. So the Bundesrat is the German upper house, um, which is made up of the state governments of German states. And because historically... Um, Like midterm elections in most countries, people tend to use midterm elections to kick against the government. Lander elections have typically ended up going for the opposition at the federal level. Um, So quite often the Bundesrat has ended up being dominated by whoever isn't in power in in Berlin. Um, So that has imposed um, a veto over policy, over substantial amounts of policy for the for the spd when the cdu is in government and vice versa um, so that um so negotiation between so even though grand coalitions as such are rare negotiation between um the two large parties is is a fairly common feature of german politics
3: mm-hmm.
2: mm. yeah So yeah. i mean Unthink- unthinkable in, in yeah as, as Chris as Johnny said sorry um in the US or the UK where there's a lot of effective polarization right mm. even if if policies aren't so different um
0: yeah
2: it's yeah. just untenable kind of psychologically or culturally I don't know what the
0: yeah. right adjective also- is there's also something in it in that we're talking about a Social Democratic Party and a Christian Democratic Party mm, rather than a Social yeah. Democratic Party and a Conservative Party as well, which if you look at yeah. just that, that also doesn't happen in other countries which use kind of PR systems that often either mm. party systems, but the Christian Democrat Social Democratic coalitions do happen in other countries as well. Um, mm-hmm. typically austria usually existed under a grand coalition for most of the time yeah. since the second world war um mm-hmm. of these two party families as well um italy historically we yeah. have social democrats in cabinet with christian democrats quite frequently yeah well. the
1: low mm-hmm. low countries as well yeah. netherlands belgium um luxembourg quite frequent uh yeah and and the, because of the Christian democratic idea, which is very popular in Germany of the social market economy. If mm. We have a market economy, but it has kind of social elements to it. So it um it, it, it obviously creates some overlap with social democracy in terms yeah. of economic and pro- social economic approach. Um, I think, it, but in this case, the particular spur has been the arising of these two um, parties on the left and the right in d Linke and the AFD. Which are considered to be um, non-coalitionable. Um, so, even said the left party, it, it, you know, it, 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 when you poll, um, as frequently happens in Germany, actually, like potential coalition formations, red, red, red is red, red, green. The coalition of the the, the Linkers SPD and the Green Party is surprisingly unpopular, um, given that you know it's. The most obvious route to a pure left wing government, um, which I think is a reminder that even amongst center left mm-hmm. voters, e linker is to some extent considered beyond the pale, um, and so and yeah, people don't even bother polling the AFD in government usually because, yeah. Everyone knows how that would go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and the the Greens and the SPD don't usually rule out red, red, green, um, and they haven't in this election, for instance, which is causing um, a little bit of strain. Um, but 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 very clear that that's a, to some extent is negotiation tactic. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Another thing that makes the grand coalition more obvious is that we've never seen at the federal level. It has existed in some places at the land level to have um, the Greens and the FPD in the government together before. It hasn't happened. There was an attempt after twenty seventeen, which failed yeah. um, unexpectedly, by because the FDB, F, FPD walked out, um, which yeah. wasn't expected. Um, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, that hasn't happened yet. I mean, there's yeah, the a lot of bad this election, yeah. But yeah not happening
1: the, the greens and the fdp have a lot of bad blood mm. between them um in part because they both tend to win from fairly high educated urban voters so they actually there's some crossover in terms of their vote um and yeah yeah they they both really do not like each other um linda the current leader of the fdp is particularly anti-Green Party and anti-SPD. Um, so he mm. um, he has a... The, 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 it, I think him walt- waltzing out of the coalition negotiations in not, last time around wasn't so surprising if you're familiar with his personality.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Mm. Uh, and particularly because, of course, the FDP fell out of government uh, fell out of the bundestag in 2013 and then came back in 2017 so like the memory of a coalition going wrong and then it's completely devastating you as a party is relatively recent for them um uh, so you know i i think there's very understandable um Mm. party health reasons there as well
0: yeah i also just think that um one party whose main concern is environmental protection, and the others whose main point is yay capitalism, not always going to sit together super comfortably um, yeah. in government formations. I take a bit. I mean, obviously, the Greens are a lot more. This is another thing we should talk about. When we talk about, of course, talk about the Greens definitely because of the, what their position is in this election. Um, but yeah, are a lot more centrist than they used to be. Um, mm-hmm. Have kind of moved into a kind of. Something of a kind of left liberal space um, in the political spectrum. Um, the, we talked already mentioned before, this kind of um, division between the relos and the Fundies. I mean, the relos always had the upper hand for quite a while, but now they seem to have comprehensively won that battle. Um, mm. it used to be traditional that like with Dilinka, you had two co-presidents. And one of them would be from each faction, um, but at the moment now they're both from the Rilo faction. Um, and yeah, they've definitely charted in the past decade, a much more centrist course, um, moderation. Mm. And I think definitely a combination of that and the fact that the environment is just way up the issue agenda now, um, has meant Mm. that they've been able to take off, um, quite a significant way, um, also, because the SPD has just been in grand coalitions for so long and it's just been hemorrhaging voters for basically that yeah. most of that time as well. Um, yeah, it's they're in pretty good- uh, Yeah, Hem-
2: hemorrhaging voters to the left.
1: Uh, well, to, more to the Greens, uh, who aren't really to their left. Um, okay. but, right. Yeah, but obviously the Greens, through being in opposition, have been able to um, to um, have kind of high amount of visibility they're a more acceptable potential place to go than Die for a lot of voters, particularly for a lot of voters. I think mean, the fact that the Greens as well stalk out positions, which are, so the, the environment is always a particularly is a is, is an issue which is particularly high on the agenda in Germany across the political spectrum. Like Germany has got one of the most passionate environmentalist debates of any country in the world. And to some extent that's why the Greens became so strong in the first place. Um, you know, uh, the CDU has always like tried to maintain quite a strong environmental pers- agenda. Um, Germany promised to cut its emissions onto the Kyoto Protocol by more than any other country and almost succeeded um, in reaching that goal. It, it's a country that is incredibly passionate about these issues. So th- that as well has meant that the the Green Party has had a certain element of CDU voters that it could take, and, and, and it seems to be winning them over. Um, it's also a party that's kind of gained a reputation for being broadly competent in government um, and having kind of... Uh, and having kind of a series of strong leaders. Um, um, uh, And as well, it's kind of been very radical um, on issues which have been quite important in Germany and where its stances are broadly popular. So for example, it's generally the most pro-immigration party, which, um, you know, uh, uh, which has placed it kind of in a, a nice... Um, opposition to the AfD uh, and um, and and generally speaking, migration into Germany. Um, the, the Merkel's handling of the migration crisis was generally popular, but the funny thing was that the Greens were able to carve out a position that was kind of more was more bombunctious in. Um, in supporting it, than Merkel was because of Merkel's tendency to kind of facilitate <laughs> between. <laughs> between like, as soon as she spots trouble, suddenly heading towards the other direction, um, and and yeah, they're also very very strong on the opposition. They're very pacifist which is a similar similarly popular stance in Germany because sort of its history. Um, so all uh, and and probably the most pro-european party in germany as well which similarly once again incredibly popular stance so all in all they've had a series of kind of positions which have allowed them to kind of be like nice moderate parties that at the one at the same time is more radical than other parties but also quite quite, quite competent mm-hmm. um and you know so a range of positions which doesn't put you outside the mainstream of German German public opinion, but at the same time um, it has an air of difference to it? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Merkel's just
2: because, you know, paying off, you know, just kind of uh, based on what, what you said about Merkel's style, um, it's almost kind of a part of the German political system now that she mm. can She's she's meant to be. What I've read is that her style is kind of non-committal, mm. um, and she has very kind of subtle messages that can then lead to pol- very kind of. She leaves her policy options open yeah. by by not you know um, committing herself to to particular positions in public thoughts, right? And she's kind of very reserved and and also yeah. famous for. Occupy or for like taking over policy p- policy positions that her party didn't originally espouse. And yeah, yeah, and,
1: and she she's a very good uh, and she's uh, she's very good at imposing her will on others as well. Um, like a very good example is um, so um, you remember the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Um, uh, almost 10 years ago now at that time she was in coalition with the Fdp um the um and the greens were polling actually pretty well almost almost as high as they are now um and uh, the fukushima nuclear disaster happened in Germany and her agreement with the Fdp said that they were going to extend the life of german nuclear plants which was an unpopular position but not a dramatically unpopular one, the FDP is extremely pro-nuclear, which is another tension point with the Greens. The Greens to some extent originate in anti-nuclear protest movements. So they so, uh, a position very much at the heart of um, what led to the party's formation. Um, so it's a, it, so um, when Fukushima happened, obviously nuclear went massively up the ge- agenda in Germany and so Merkel just came out and said that she was going to close down on nuclear plants without consulting the F- without consulting the FDP. Uh, she just basically stole the position from the uh, from the Greens, um, completely chopped their legs off, their their polling plummeted. The FDP looked like no one was listening to them um, once again. But um, and her, her, her wings of her party were annoyed, and uh, a lot of people. Um, in climate so it, it, on kind of more pragmatic ends of the climate circles were wound up as well because it actually meant in the long run that Germany became a little bit more dependent on coal. <laughs> um it, uh, But it's a, so it's a position that but it's a position that won a huge amount of popularity and chopped down political opponents on both her left and right simultaneously. <laughs> and, like, that's Classic Merkel. Um, just uh, a position that she had not held before that point suddenly adopted, and she's just able to sell these things incredibly well when she decides to do it. Um, yeah, and she's incredibly good at dispatching political opponents. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, you may even say that um, within her own party, probably been slightly too good at that. In that, the, the. the caliber of successor within the cdu was generally mm. been pretty poor and i don't think mm. many are particularly impressed with armin Laschet, who's ended up as the new cdu leader and now the chancellor candidate for the the union parties um yeah um so yeah the kind of process so i mean it probably should address the fact that this will also be strange for a british listener in that the person who is leader of the party or president of the party is not necessarily the candidate to be Chancellor um, in in the election. Mm. Um, it's not kind of ipso facto those people um, go on to that. Um, there's often more of a kind of separation between party leadership and government executive leadership mm. positions in some way which is possibly how Merkel has been able to kind of uh, occupy this kind of uh, dominant kind of coalition persona sort of uh, sort of role where she sort of exists above these party politics and um, finds these kind of allies across the spectrum. Um, and certainly mm. her influence on other parties has probably also been quite immense. Like you see both the current um, SPD and Green chancellor candidates being described as to being Merkel's successors in some ways, or just as much Merkel's successors as as Laschet is and things like this. Um, mm. Clearly, she's just left a mark across the parties as well.
1: Yeah, and that particular particular style is to some extent why she, I think she prefers Grand Coalition as well, because it mm. gives, it, it it allows her to bring her chief opponents in under the tent and then suck the most popular ideas out of them mm. and take credit for them. <laughs> um, it's, it's like it, she has Continue, a lot of the most popular policies that have been, not all, but a lot of them that have been implemented under Merkel have actually been SPD policies that she has managed to sell as her own because of this incredibly strong position that being chancellor gives her. And she was clearly at her most unhappy and uncomfortable when she was with in coalition with the FDP. Her, her party's traditional coalition partner on the right. Um, which, yeah, is a, a, a serious difference in style to her predecessors. who mm. um, But yes, an important one. Um, I, in, in terms of her, she's also kind of a unique politician within the, the CDU as well. Um, she's um, the first East German Chancellor. Um, She's um, in in a party which has typically had its centre of power in the south of the country. Um, She's a Protestant in a party which is typically more Catholic. Um, She's got a very austere kind of lower middle class kind of vibe to her in a party that has often been led by quite aristocratic um, Germans um, and um, part of the w- one problem that the party has faced over the last year is that um, elite corruption has kind of become clearer as she's kind of moved away from power and, and uh, other leaders have taken over again um, which uh, has, uh, has been something that has dogged the CDU in the past um so seeing that kind of come back is a kind of um, a slight an, an interesting return to form for <laughs> um, mm. the party
0: yeah and it's going to be really interesting to see how the CDU does without her because she's been there so long now and become so associated um, mm. with the party I mean yeah and you mentioned Lasher, possibly not strongest candidate they could have picked to succeed yeah um it, it's unclear to I mean a lot of people sort of saying that whether he really wants the role too much it was more that just that the other people standing would have been from the the party's right and there was the need yeah. for a successor from merkel's wing of the party to step up and um, so he's been kind to put it in
1: that position um yes he, he's not as popular as marcus soda Yes. who yes who is the csu leader and who a lot of people even in the cdu wanted to be the chancellor candidate um but the the process for choosing the chancellor candidate ended up kind of being done in a kind of elite smoke field room um without really any consultation with even party members let alone the wider german public and so he was he was chosen um, in that way, which was one thing that caused the CDU's polling to dip earlier this year because that was very unpopular in Germany that it felt like that the um, governing party was choosing its um, candidate for leader, a candidate for chancellor in a way that was so obviously mm. elite-driven mm. Um, and with so little consultation
2: so we've already kind of entered the you know kind of the topic of the campaign for you know leading up to the, the election um how is by the way how is laschet what sort of figure has he been or what sort of um not, notable kind of um appearances or messages has he has he proclaimed in 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 germany that that could kind of Give us a sense of how the campaign will be
1: like. Um, so in terms of, like, settling on a, like, a core campaign theme, he hasn't really he'd done much of that yet. The campaign up until the floods, which, of course, most listeners will be aware, have afflicted Germany pretty severely over the last couple of weeks. Um, he has settled into kind of uh, um, campaign ephemera of sorts, Lachette has become quickly associated with a series of minor gaps, I think it's fair to say. Um, He most famously and notably during the floods, the German, I think it was the German president. Yeah, it was the German president came to speak to one of the afflicted towns. Um, This was in Lachette's own... Um, state, because Lachette is actually the um, premier, or a long-time premier, of North Rhine-Westphalia, Germany's largest state, um, which has been particularly afflicted by the floods. And Lachette was spotted laughing in the background. Um, Similarly, during the floods, he um, was asked about um, his climate change policies and where this was going to cause any particular um, changes to them, which I would say is a fairly normal journalist question. Um, he reacted in a very spiky way and said that he wasn't going to define his changes, his climate change policies because of one specific act. <laughs> um, and so this sort of stuff is kind of given the impression that perhaps he's not fully ready for prime time. Um, and I I think uh, he's also been controversial in the past because of his foreign policy stances, he has a a history of adopting very pro-Russian, very pro-Chinese foreign policy stances Um, Germany tends to be more pro-Russian and more pro-Chinese than other Western European countries anyway I think it's probably fair to say but um he was going beyond that even for um the usual bounds of German politics and he um but he has since um done a speech where he basically just said he was going to accept the entire bounds of Merkel's foreign policy (laughs) agenda (laughs) so that's kind of calmed down a little bit but for a long time in foreign policy circles there was a lot of fear about um, Lachette becoming chancellor, um, which um, fortunately has ebbed away a bit. Um,
0: yeah, I think that would be that was also would be also tempered by the fact that his most probable coalition partner will be the Greens, who have a kind of strong anti-authoritarian bent to their foreign policy yes. thinking. As you mentioned, they kind of pacifist roots and are um, no big fans of Russia and China um, in terms. Yeah, of, yeah, for, yeah know, and.
1: Sorry. Because they've they've slanted so far, uh, far uh, they've slanted so far. Uh, they've actually become remarkably pro-Western, the Greens, mm. um, in a kind of quite interesting way. Um, yeah, and, and it, traditionally in Germany as well, the foreign ministry goes to. There's a kind of convention in coalition formation in Germany that the foreign ministry goes to the leader of um, the junior coalition partner so um it's very likely that the greens will get the foreign ministry in the next government, if that's the coalition that's formed mm.
2: and, and and what about the greens what what would um you know this could be a very good year for them mm. um, they've got a lot to campaign on mm. How's that been um developing yes yeah, so uh. they're,
0: they're not they're polling um normally polling at least 10 points above where they did at the last election, um, normally in the kind of 17 to 20% range at the moment. They mm. were pr- earlier in the year. Um, so they've had two, they had one stage before the pandemic and then one earlier in the year where they have raised that to being almost in the kind of mid 20s. Um, mm. There was a point earlier in the year around the time that both parties selected their chancellor candidates where they were slightly ahead of the of the Christian Democrats um for a period they've slunk back again a little bit but they're still generally polling in second um most of the time um so yeah i think it's it's still this that's still a very impressive score and there's still months to go to the election um like i said Mm. chris was saying before we went on that there was a a poll out today which showed them back up in the 20s again i mean the flooding is obviously that has happened in germany in, in recent weeks which i'm sure people will have seen on the news. Has, for obvious reasons, driven the climate a bit back up the agenda again, um, which may well kind mm. of play to their advantage. And as you say, Lachette, not the most impressive candidate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it might yeah. Do still.
1: Yeah, there is a kind of widespread perception that they've stumbled a fair bit. I think, yep, possibly, I think, possibly, I think, possibly, I think, probably over because, as Jonathan says, they are still at a very impressive score. I think it's probably unlikely that they were ever going to be able to maintain those schools where they were in were battling for first place all the way through to the election because ultimately they are still um they're a party that ha- had that uh, has never gotten anywhere close to that before. And you know, they're still to some extent inexperienced. And um, not kind of used to the rigors of power, but um, their chancellor candidate Annalena Baerbock, who is very charismatic, which is quite unusual for German political leaders. To be quite honest, <laughs> um, they, they're generally a country that almost makes a virtue out of being anti-charismatic. <laughs> um, but um, she and who and was greeted with a huge amount of excitement by the German press who um, are, are clearly very fond of her and there's been some discussion since whether they are, all, uh, whether, to what extent the German press is actually biased towards her because of its kind of typical center-left leaning. Um, but um, she, uh, she was greeted with a huge amount of excitement, but she has made a series of um, gaffe stumbles. Um, so, for example, um, she um, swore, said the German word scheiße after a um, speech she gave, where she, um, which was actually her acceptance speech for the position of Chancellor, um, because of a stumble that she made during the speech. She um, has been accused of plagiarism in the past in, uh, on, after journalists have gone some digging into her past. She um, has been accused, she um, most recently last week, she uttered the German version of the N-word in an interview um, when she was explaining why you shouldn't use the German version of the (laughs) N-word, which is one of those things which I, I could understand how you would make that mistake, but obviously it isn't a great look, particularly for a left liberal politician. Um, she and and her, her other parts of the party have also um, had problems so for example her co-leader seemed to advocate the selling of arms to Ukraine at one point which um, is a fairly controversial viewpoint in Germany because of Germany's long-standing policy of not selling arms to war, to war zones um, he's since walked that back and said that he was only um, meaning kind of um, like non-lethal military equipment. Um, he, he, um, and then, for example, a mayor um, went on a, a, a said some fairly racist things. Obviously, that's quite a minor member of the party, but the way that they dealt with that was perhaps not ideal, and it caused a lot of noise. Um, which I mean, these gaps will happen. You know, it's a party that is still fairly new to having this amount of attention Um, and so is obvious and I think there's a sense of almost overcorrection because of that perception that the press really likes the Greens. I think the press have almost gone out of their way to try and dig up as much as they can. uh, um, So all that stuff is kind of clearly in there and all that said the party is still kind of in contention for second place. Isn't that far behind the um, the um, CDU and the CSU at the end of the day, Um, and it's still probably very likely to form at least a powerful part of the next German government, even if it's not leading it. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's obviously it's it's battling the SPD for second place, basically, um, which I think it. Mm. There's a good chance that it slightly has the edge on that one, although you wouldn't rule out the SPD, given that they've got quite a strong chance the candidate. In Olaf Scholz, who's um, minister at the moment in the government, um, mm. is quite an impressive candidate, really. And it's probably yeah. going to be... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're still polling below where they were at the last election, but considering where their polling has been in the interim, and how, for a long period, it seemed like they had been almost completely replaced as the party of the center left by the Greens is kind of being viewed as as a kind of victory that they're at least polling in the same range as the Greens again, um, and, and seen as a contender to still maintain that second, yeah. spot. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think they've run a fair and, and it's the irony with the SPD, like most social democratic parties, you talk about them, and there's a kind of sense that they they've they're kind of clapped out of ideas and good leaders and with the SPD it's almost the opposite problem like their ideas are very popular they just all get nicked <laughs> and, and they've got um leaders who are well liked um but the party brand is in the dirt like the SPD party brand is just not very popular at all it's been stained by kind of repeated brand coalitions mm-hmm. um, um yeah, see, it's, it's The irony is that before each Grand Coalition, you poll Germans and they go, you yeah, know, our most popular option will be uh, another Grand Coalition. And that's usually, that's often the most popular option with SPD voters as well. And then it happens and, and then the SPD loses votes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, because, yeah, people, people um don't mind the idea of grand coalition but they're not going to reward you for it um even if it is the rational choice um
2: but it, it, the contours of the party and how they differentiate themselves from others kind of um hmm. they can get blurred right if they're if there's yeah. this sort of coalition yeah yeah
1: i mean the svd has kind of gone out of its way to try and differentiate itself much more during this particular state of Grand Coalition. So straight after, the, um, straight after the last election, they elected a, a leader from the left. Um, she um, had a history of being quite critical of Merkel, so that was considered to be a good choice. She, unfortunately, she, unfortunately for the SPD, didn't manage to um, make much of a mark, so they had another leadership election. And then, surprisingly, uh, they elected two fairly unknown co-leaders, um, who um, are themselves were considered to be the more left-wing candidates, um, and that, and, and which has um, helped the SPD define itself a little bit more. Um, neither of them is the chancellor candidate, as Jonathan said. That's the, um, the current vice chancellor um but he has himself been pulled a little bit to the left because the co-leaders have pushed policy leftwards so that's allowed them to differentiate a little bit more which has been a problem in other grand coalitions um like in 2017 they had a major issue there was a, a just a general issue that you looked at spd posters you looked at cdu posters and it was basically the same set of messages so it's like europe's yeah, nice um let's spend more but not without breaking the budget and <laughs> this kind of stuff um and yeah and now there is a a sense that the spd has an has a a different set of policy stances much more so than in in that election and other previous ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. yeah although
0: mm. well, yeah the fdp is doing Reasonably well, I think they're up a couple of points hmm. only in polls. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they, yeah, they, they stand a decent chance of being involved again in some kind of governing arrangement. I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the, for the yeah, I think we've already sort of talked at the top of the episode um, about the AfD's fortunes, which is obviously it's it's steady on about ten percent, basically, um, which is a bit less than last time, but it's not really going anywhere linker is not doing particularly well at all, though. Um, yeah. Really. Um, yeah, and probably will be, will be one of the one of the chief losers of the election. I think it doesn't look like they're going to be expelled from the Bundestag or anything. But
1: um, yeah. Yeah, um, even even if, fail, even if they fell, even if they fell below five percent, I think it would be quite hard for them to lose out. Um, because of the um, free seat rule, because there's mm-hmm. there, there's usually free constituencies in Berlin alone that they can they, they can win fairly easily, even in bad years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I don't think they're in danger of going anywhere. But they it it does look like a party very much in decline now.
2: Yeah. So I mean that this this paints a very vivid picture of the of the party system. And the sort of alternatives that are in play, um, and the main figures in, in in what will be September's election. Um, you've already kind of briefly touched on polling, where where parties are stand in, in polling. Are there any trends that you see, um, you know, beyond just kind of the snap picture of the of the polls um, over time that that you think are worth mentioning? For instance. Um, uh, well, I, I also, you know, in addition to that, the, the size of the Bundestag. What do you think the size will be like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's um a a strong chance that we end up with a particularly fragmented Bundestag. Mm-hmm. So the the CDU is polling in a fairly clear first place now, for instance, but it's still looking towards either it's worst or one of its worst electoral performances ever in terms of percentage of the vote um yeah it's so a lot of polling it's sort of not even hitting 30 percent and it's never gone below 30 percent before um so it that that puts it in a uh in an interesting position in terms of its um long-term health and vitality. We have a tendency to talk about like crises with centre-left parties in Europe, but like a lot of centre-right parties have um, struggled to reach previous heights in, in recent years as well. It's just that um, perhaps they might still be winning the elections anyway um, because of the way that the splintering has happened. So that's certainly um, one interesting trend. I, and I think Lachette will probably Struggle to reach um, some of the heights that Merkel did, and particularly you know, Merkel didn't have histo- in historic terms a particularly amazing run of election results at times, albeit you know still maintaining a clear first place position in an increasingly fragmented system. Um, the other trends, I think that I think that there seems to be a very large number of voters. are broadly floating between some combination of the four main parties um so i wouldn't be surprised if things prove to be very volatile before election day um and I, i wouldn't be surprised as well if the polls are currently overstating um the afd in particular um because of because essentially a a sizable number of don't knows in the polls um so that'll be yeah i think and i think the polling may well because of that prove unusually inaccurate for germany because i think a lot of voters just haven't settled down um on a particular option you know all the parties are to some extent um troubled in some way Um, which makes things very unpredictable. Um, And yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if even on election day there are are surprises when, you know, the exit polls and results start coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And the other trend is that there's a danger that coalition formation will be a particular headache this time even compared to some of the recent elections because they may not even be able to form a two... There they may not even be a strong majority with two parties, so there may even need to be three, um, which, yeah, would really... Um, which will require either some combination, probably, of the FTP or the Greens or the FTP or the SPD, both of which are going to go down badly. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah um... Yeah, <laughs> quite frank mm. yeah there's
0: there's no gonna there's not gonna be any really simple routes to that kind of um coalition yeah um, definitely um yeah as i say it's 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 see all of them are difficult but not impossible to be honest so it's going to be really interesting to see which comes comes out of it um obviously you can have difficulties putting The Greens and the FDP together um, which would make I mean I I still think the kind of the Jamaica Coalition as they refer to it the CDU, um, FDP, Greens is is perfectly possible and probably one of the more likely options Um, but yeah it's by no means an easy one to put out with as it failed in 2017 Um, also something that's like SPD, Greens CDU obviously would Resolve that, but at the end of the day, that might be too much for the CDU to do. Two left parties. Yeah, that
1: that, that, that that coalition combination. That coalition combination has arisen in a few east eastern states, where it's typically referred to as mm-hmm. the Kenya coalition, mm-hmm. because of the Germany fantastic record of like naming coalition types of the like flag colours. Um, but they're typically they've also they've often been seen as coalitions in those states which have very little cohesion um that are are very hard to hold together as well because of the internal contradictions that are inherent in that and and they're often seen as kind of ones that just exist to block the linker and the afd yeah. and nothing else mm. um so yeah, I think that's a, a difficult coalition formation, yeah. and one that probably has the potential to break the German party system a little bit, <laughs> um, which, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> the, the other one, and
0: this, this is the other, the other possibility, and the one which we did discuss when we talked about the two Lander elections that we covered um, earlier in the year, was the possibility of the Ample, the traffic light, um, which would, remo- the only one of these which would remove the CDU, CSU from power, um, which would be Greens, SPD, FDP, um, obviously the colours of the traffic light. Um, but yeah, this was this was talked up quite a bit after, especially after those um, first mm. states of, of, of state elections earlier on, um, because this was the, was possible in both of these states and was formed in one of them. Um, and mm. polling when the Greens were at the height suggested this was possible. It's a bit less certain now whether we could end up with this as being numerically possible. Um, although it's certainly, I it, it could see some just a slight movement in the polls would mm. make it numerically possible um, again. Um, but yeah, then again, you get the, the difficulty of trying to make the FDP gel with the two parties of the centre-left. Um, yes,
1: well. and and the current FDP leader Christian Lindner appears to be particularly opposed to the traffic light coalition. Traffic light got a lot of attention, as be- um, I say earlier this year, and Lindner made a point of um, of um, addressing uh, of uh, addressing that possibility in a speech and saying that um, it was not something that he would support. Um, so. I think if other options are possible for the FDP, they will mm-hmm. pull away from it and and indeed, uh, I think Linda seems to have a particular fear of government participation full stop, understandably because once again the party wasn't represented in the Bundestag, but between twenty thirteen and twenty seventeen because the particular problems that the FDP faced last time they were in government. Um, so I think that's made them quite reticent to form, um, to form government coalition. <laughs> Funny, considering that the party has been, in it w- was until 1998 in almost every single German government, apart from mm. the one period they formed a the grand coalition. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I've I, I think that's a kind of good reminder that coalitions in general are becoming harder to form. In part because voters seem to reward you less for uh, than they used to for um, for being a a sound junior coalition partner.
2: And I mean, definitely the polls show that it's going to be a kind of really competitive um, federal election, mm. um, and something to you know definitely keep everyone's eyes on there are other there are also two local elections Berlin and mecklenburg or <laughs> mecklenburg Yes. <Vorpommern>. Um, <laughs> i've made it i've, tr-
3: I've,
2: I've pronounced it um <laughs> now it's done it's out in the world now <laughs> um, <laughs> What I mean, you know, what what I, I think uh, we've already been talking for quite a while, actually. But you know, what what would the what would the things to to look out for be in in these two local elections?
0: Yeah, I mean the 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 two it's two quite interesting Blanda, to be honest, because yeah, um, Berlin is very multi-party. I mean, the, yeah. the largest party last time got twenty-two percent vote. Um, it's all yeah it's polling quite well there as well
1: yeah Yeah. it's also obviously uh, very left-wing um in its way um albeit yeah as uh, you know with patches of support of strong support for the cdu and for the afd and the fdp as well um so it's not without those parties or anything but it's often produced very left of center governments and, Mm -hmm. and and um uh, and mayors. Have the. Um, Berlin has a kind of reputation as being quite radical. Um, it's, it's relatively poor for a capital city in Europe, in part because, of course, the joining of East Berlin. Um, it's also not been the economic heart of the country um, in recent years, um, in the way that, for example, London or Paris are um, so it yeah, um there was a, a the, the former mayor um it, it, it was um who was actually one of the first openly gay mayors in europe um said that Berlin is poor but sexy, which I've always liked as a political slogan he also said that he was uh, introducing funky politics into for the which for Germany, which was typically very dull <laughs> uh, where politics is often very dull but... <laughs> Quite an interesting uh, statement. Um, yeah, um, one thing that will be interesting there will be whether the Greens get the upper hand over the SPD, and whether therefore that they are particularly because the Greens are often actually slightly to the right of the SPD in Berlin, where the SPD has a particularly left-wing wing. Um, so yeah, that that'll be um, yeah that that'll be an interesting one. And yeah yeah
0: it's it's the one of the it has the rare um red red green government at the moment um hmm. which by the looks of the polling that those three parties will maintain a majority um so hmm. that government will be possible again um definitely um just a question of which one of that the, the largest party might switch from the spd to the greens um yeah the mecklenburg Vorpommern um I don't have too much to say um, about this, and also partly because we've been talking for ages, but this this has a grand coalition at the moment, one led by the SPD. I think it looks likely that it might have a grand coalition again, um, the way things are going mm. at the moment. Both parties are down slightly, but... Um, yeah, and it'll probably be a fact that it will be a more diverse chamber than it is at the moment, because the FDP and the Greens might cross the threshold this time. But this yeah. isn't this is an Eastern state... So the Greens aren't very popular, really here, yeah. and we have quite a strong um, um, AFD and uh, DeLinco as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think the most likely here is a um, is a is is a repeat of the Grand Coalition.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also um, Angela Merkel's home state, yes. which <laughs> always causes some degree of interest whenever it pops up. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
2: Yeah. well thank, thank you for that um, thoroughly fascinating uh, preview of the German election which you know is an incredibly important election um, not only for Germany but also for, for Europe and, and maybe a, like just generally the world actually given given how important that country is and mm. the fact that it's the end of the, the Merkel era um, mm. any, any parting thoughts?
0: excited for this one to say do you have a bit of a fondness? i i'm
1: looking forward i'm looking very forward to it too um it'll be an interest and and yeah it'll be an interesting just to see what happens in terms of a a germany without merkel um which yeah it has i mean she's been that's such an important, and she's been an important component of German politics for essentially the entire twenty first century. Yeah, um, given that she became leader of the party in two thousand and one, um, so yeah, it'll be. Um, uh, I'm sorry, she. I think she became leader even in the nineties, and now I can't think of it. Um, but yeah, she's been around for a very long time and has the and has dominated German politics for a little bit less time than that. Um, so, yeah, it would be a huge step change, really. Well, he, um, you know,
3: this
2: episode is brought to you by uh, the lovely people who voted in uh, on our Twitter poll. Please, um, if if you're one of those amazing people who participated, please make sure that you've subscribed and you review this
1: podcast thank you okay. yeah and we'll be back next week we're going to talk about a mexican referendum um which uh, is an unholy uh it's become a, a bit of a nasty thing i think it's to say.
2: <laughs> exactly yes um, it's who knows what it is i am not even sure what this chimera of a, an election is like <laughs> um but yeah we'll talk about that next week right
0: Alright, well, see everyone next week then. Bye. Bye. Bye.